This podcast is brought to you by Viking Capital, your best friend in swimming pool financing for over 20 years. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Lauren Broom, owner of Space Coast Pool School and host of the Let's Talk About Pools podcast. Pleasure to have you with us today on the show, Lauren. Thanks for having me, Joe. I was very excited when you asked me to be on your podcast. I've listened to some of your episodes. They're very exciting. So I'm glad to join you today. I've listened to your podcast for quite some time. I mean, I'm a big supporter of what you're doing there. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's nice to have your your name on there and your support on social media as well. You, you give me some great uh, positive feedback and keep doing what I'm doing. Uh, it's our pleasure. I mean, I think we should all be helping each other in the pool industry, don't you? Yes. I think that if the competition could go away a little bit and we educate and work together, we can make this industry and our nation awesome. Absolutely. I mean, you're kind of like a new face in the pool industry over the last couple of years. I mean, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of a heads up about how you first got your start in the swimming pool industry? Oh, wow. So I started 17 years ago, 2003, I started working for the Florida Department of Health down here in Indian River County. And one of the many hats I wore, and I'll just stick to the one hat that actually matters. I wore nine different regulatory hats, but one of those hats was inspecting and regulating public swimming pools for that 17 years. So got thrown right into it, came out of college, didn't know anything about swimming pools at the get-go. And most of us don't when we come in as a health inspector. And a lot of the people that are listening are probably going to nod their head if they're ever worked in that industry. So you come in and you have to learn it. But having that open mind and going to other educational opportunities, um, of course, I got CPO certified through the health department. They had their own instructor. And I walked out like a lot of people and go, I still don't understand half of it as most students when they take it the first time. So it was going to shows, asking my boss, can I go to like the Florida pool show, everything under the sun from the Florida Swimming Pool Association, found out I could attend free training, did that. So I'm a big believer in you have to do more education than just the minimum course that you have. And I I encourage all of my students to take advantage of any free training that's out there in the industry increase your knowledge base. So that's what I had to do for myself. The health department didn't encourage it so much. I encouraged myself to do it because I knew I had to learn more if I was going to keep up in the industry and actually be an inspector that I felt like I had to gain the respect of the people that I was regulating. And in order to do that, I had to show that I was willing to learn. So I had many different contractors down in Indian river, a couple of them have passed away, which was very hard because I always felt like they were kind of like family at the same time. So there were a couple down there, the two that passed away in particular, I felt like I had to gain their respect. So as a health inspector and regulator, that's where I came from. It wasn't about just walking in and I have this badge and I can shut your pool down. It was trying to figure out how I could work with the contractors. So After I'd been in a regulator, health inspector, by about year 2012, so we're talking about eight, nine years in, 
I finally, like a lot of people have to get a second job. So I'm looking, thinking, what can I do? What are my skills? I said, why don't I try to become a CPO instructor? I love teaching. I do annual trainings with our pool contractors every single year in our county. And that was one of the things that I love doing that or the on-site education when I was at each public pool, because back when I started, we had the time to be able to spend an hour or two hours at a pool if the pool operator was there educating. So I said, you and I, yeah. you and I were having a conversation a while back where you said, yeah, the COVID uh, was a, a big opportunity for you to switch gears and start focusing on that, uh, on that CPO class that you're teaching now. Isn't that yeah. right? Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize I've been teaching CPO for 10, 10 years. I've been teaching CPO classes for a decade. I just been stuck down here in Florida and it was a second job. So I was only teaching six, eight classes a year on the weekends in a certain geographic area of Florida. I wasn't even teaching in the whole state of Florida. So a lot of people, I'm new to them, but I'm not new. I've been an instructor teaching these classes in person. What COVID did is it opened doors because it opened up the CPO class to go virtual. So since COVID started April, they, they had everything set up for us to start teaching virtual certified pool operator courses in April of 2020. And that really opened up the door and the decision maker for me where I had plateaued at the health department. The room for growth was over and it, I came to realize that I was at a good place and I wanted to pursue Space Coast Pool School as my full-time job. I had a passion for it um, and I really wanted to pursue that education more than just regulation. I always was taught at the health department, regulation and education went hand in hand. Now I'm kind of dropping the regulation and, and just taking the hand of education and really trying to bring that to the industry and doing a good job with it. I want to give quality over quantity. Now, what's your class all about? That's like, what's the differentiator between your class and say any other class that somebody could take online? Well, you know, I'm, I come from a different part of the industry than a lot of the instructors are. Um, there's a few, but I'm probably the one that's teaching a lot more classes that comes from the side working as an uh, inspector. Um, so I understand the regulations that a lot of the people are dealing with, because a lot of times when people take the CPO class, they're going to be doing commercial public pools. So I definitely have that spin on it there. Um right. With online classes, I've tried to integrate a lot of uh, unique ways of teaching online. I use um, video that I created my videos for like the math portions. It's a lot easier than doing a, a whiteboard with my chicken scratch uh, handwriting. Mm -hmm. So, and it makes it a lot easier for the student to see the math and God, it's easy to rewind the video when they say, wait a minute, I don't understand that stuff. But I have a lot of videos for turning in, you know, a lot of people like to go to in-person CPO classes because of the hands-on. And of course you can't do that really in an online class. It's recreating that hands-on portion. So I took all my hands-on items and I made my own videos and I play those as if it's the same time period that I would be showing this stuff in my in-person class. And it's still my content. I'm not taking YouTube videos from somebody else or borrowing somebody else's content. I know it's still how I would teach it. 
and the items that I would show. If I pull out my pump or this filter type or this peristaltic pump or this erosion feeder, I have all those examples, but I show it to them. I explain it in the video. Um, and I try to have some good backstories and I add a lot of good content to the PowerPoints because I'm a true believer that you got to have some fun in class. It makes it more fun. If it's more fun, it's easier to learn. Bring that wall down that the student feels is there because all they're scared of is the test on the second day. So bring that wall down so that they can learn better. If they're not so worried about that test on the second day, then they're going to learn a lot more. Do you feel that your students still have the same level of retention and engagement that they would say if they were taking the course in a live setting? Yeah. Yeah. I've even had people that have taken it in a live setting and then took my class online. And they said that the engagement and how interesting that the class was, was so much more than they got out of their last in-person class, which I was totally surprised. You know, you would expect the opposite, but I, I was really uh, surprised, you know, and it's all about how you present the material. You know, if you're, going to present it and read off the PowerPoint slide versus having some good engagement, engaging the student, having some of your own uh, content that you've put together. It makes all the difference for a class. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some of the things that you see being done out in the field right now by the service techs where you feel like there's a need for improvement? I mean, I know one thing you were and I were talking about the other day was that you were in one of the groups and you were looking for feedback from uh, guys on you know, it's just bad practices and stuff like that. They were trying to add to your slides. I mean, what, what are some of the stuff that you're trying to teach these guys to, uh, to, to avoid and some of the best practices you're trying to instill? Oh, golly. There's so many. And it's something I want to add to CPO. And then I'm also going to be putting together an OSHA 10 certification specifically for the aquatic industry. So the need that I see for that is great. And it's not about regulating the industry for it. It's about educating. OSHA 10 certification doesn't mean that OSHA is going to come in and regulate you. I want everybody to understand that. What I want to do is turn this, the industry into a safe industry. Make everybody start thinking about keeping themselves safe, their employees safe and healthy, and also the people out in the community because Pool service companies drive around with a lot of chemicals in their vehicle. Mm -hmm. At any point in time, somebody can hit you or you lose control of your vehicle. Your chemicals get into the environment, but also can hurt other people as well. So I see a lot of mishandling of how they store chemicals on their vehicle, um, storing chemicals in equipment rooms, lots of electrical hazards. Um, did you know, Joe, that being in a empty swimming pool is considered a confined space? Mm. So there's training through OSHA. When you do OSHA 10, you can have on confined spaces when they drain the pool to do an acid wash or anything like that. That's a confined space. So there's certain things. There's fire hazards items that could be gone over. SDS sheets that they should have. We could go on and on with a lot of the things that I think. Some techs have, but majority, I think, would be missing a lot of these, this type of training. And so that's something that I want to try to bring to the industry. I'm, 
I'm going to be working on it this fall. If I can get it done before the end of the year, I will. Otherwise, my goal is January 2022 to have Hmm. a curriculum, PowerPoint, and course offering for OSHA 10 certification for the pool industry. It's not going to be a generic OSHA 10 certification that you can buy anywhere on Google that's really for anybody, welders, apartment maintenance technicians, uh, anybody. And you're going to watch it and you'll go, where did we fit in? Where did the pool industry fit into this OSHA 10 certification? That's what I'm talking about. I want to bring a specific type of OSHA 10 certification course that I'm not teaching it for any other industry. Maybe someday for other industries, but that's not my goal right now. My goal is this industry. I'm working the aquatic industry, the pool industry. I want to help this industry be safe. Oh, you've seen a lot of the same things that I have recently this summer. I mean, guys keep posting in the, in the Facebook groups every day of another pool truck on fire, all right, or another uh, chlorine spill on the highway. I mean, do you feel that the pool industry is too lax and that there's not enough education regulation going on out there? Yeah, I do. But I'm going to stick stay away from the word regulation right now. <laughs> Because people find that word very scary. When I was a health inspector, oh God, she's here. They it, people are scared of the inspectors and regulators or regulations. So let, uh, let's stay away from that right now. And the key here is to at least educate through the OSHA ten, mm-hmm. and and certainly OSHA thirty is great for the pool owner or managers. But that's something that we can figure out later. Right now, let's at least try to get a certain level of OSHA 10 certification and education out there in the industry. So yeah, that it needs see- to be a it needs to be a minimum set of baselines. I mean, you have all these new pool companies coming into the industry. Uh, they said the pool and spa industry grew about 30% over the last two years. So I mean, basically you have literally thousands of new freshman pool companies out there opening up with little or no real world training. Yep. Yep. And that's, I want to continue offering CPO, but then start adding in like certified pool inspector, um, add in OSHA 10 certification trainings, and then continue from there. Um, it's, it, that's going to take up a lot of my time teach because these are all live classes. So I'm one person. So how many more classes type of classes can I add? Right, Joe? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, having the material online that, you know, could be consumed by a lot of people at one time, I think definitely helps, uh, you know, you disseminate the message a lot better than just doing it one on one. Correct. And the great thing is we're allowed to teach the OSHA 10 certification as a live online class. It can't be pre-recorded. It has to be a live online class. So allowing to be able to do it online is going to open up the door to be able to teach OSHA 10 certification to basically the entire industry in the nation. Mm -hmm. So that that's really exciting for me. There is no what state accepts it like certified pool operator. Some states, you know, no, don't even require CPO certification. So you get into what states have approved virtual CPO and which ones haven't. With the OSHA 10, I'm not going to have that issue, which will be awesome. I think that Pool and Hot Tub Alliance that I'm certified through is, is very good at what they do. And so a lot of the training that comes out of there, they have you know people 
and resources to be able to, you know, get that training standardized and then get it out to us instructors to be able to teach. So I'm sure you saw recently they have their um, very own apprenticeship program. And I looked at at least the basics of the curriculum and, and it looks really good. It's up there with all the other apprenticeship programs that are getting approved right now. I'm actually involved as a subcontractor teaching CPO through the PSATC, the Pool and Spa Apprenticeship Training Committee. They start. They, they got national approval back in mm-hmm. May um, through the same organization that PHTA got theirs approved through nationally through the federal government. But they've started their model first in California. I already taught um, their first class back in May. We had 16 students that took CPO and all 16 students passed, which was awesome. So their apprenticeship programs fully approved in California. And they have uh, other, they have so many hours that they have to complete online. But what I like about the PSATC is they're trying to have the online training portion as much live as possible, which is why they have me come in and teach CPO um, online as a live two-day class for their students versus a pre-recorded program so that they can ask questions and learn more from a person. Um, eventually once I get my OSHA 10 certification put together, part of their curriculum is OSHA 10. They're utilizing, I think a pre-recorded generic training right now, but they're interested in me coming in and teaching the OSHA 10 class as well, because they know it's going to be specific to the industry and their consultant says that anything they can get live is so much better and easier for approval than having a pre-recorded program. So I'm very excited to be a part of that apprenticeship program. Tell me more about your podcast. That's something new that you started recently, uh, a couple of months ago, right? Yeah, I had the idea of the podcast like two years ago. But of course, working a full-time job and three kids. Yes, I'm a normal person like everybody else out there. I have three children that range from 17 at the oldest end, who's a senior, going all the way down to a four-year-old who's starting VPK. So, and I have one in between keeps me quite busy, but I never had the time to start the podcast. So I, when I left the health department back a year, year ago, I think like in two days goes by very quickly. And so I took a few months to get everything organized, figure out how to do it. Cause I had to do a lot of stuff on my own, Joe being a one man band. So I started it up, interviewed my first podcast guest, uh, end of November of 2020 and posted that first episode in the beginning of December. And it's called let's talk about pools. And I totally love it. I feel the podcast for me personally is an extension of what I like to do, which is education. So I get to you know, interview various different people across the board on anything from drowning prevention topics to technology, to chemical feed, to water chemistry, to business, the business side of things that can help the pool industry. 
And I feel like it's an extension of my business Space Coast Pool School continuing in a free format for my students moving forward. And I love it. It's so much fun. And what direction do you see your podcast taking over the next few years with your brand? I mean, that's part of, you said it's like a, a synchronized thing, like your, uh, your brand and your, your pool school and your podcast are all kind of the same brand, right? Yes. And I just want to keep the podcast in a place where it's true to who I am, the way a lot of people know me, that I'm an honest person. Uh, true person. And my sole goal is to be able to help the industry move forward in the education of our pool techs so that we can have a very well-rounded, educated uh, group of individuals in this industry, um, make the industry professional. We are professionals, but we got to make sure we're, we're doing it all together and working together. And education is a big piece so that when you go out there, you're going to be viewed like when a plumber comes out or an electrician, because the, the public needs to feel that. And I feel like, yes, you mentioned earlier, there's so many pool companies starting up right now. And I feel like a lot of them know they can start in residential in a lot of states without having any education at all. And that hurts the industry. So my hope is that we can try to pull these people in and get them educated. If I pull them in through the podcast, that's great. And then maybe they go, oh, I can get certified and do this education or do OSHA 10 certification so that then we can teach them to be safe and healthy. So that, that's well, it's hard. Kinda, it's I hard wanna... being an educator. I mean, you go through a, a lot of the same things that I do. I mean, every time I post something that's uh, that's me maybe has people thinking, you know, uh, you know, is the pool industry, you know, is there room for improvement? I mean, you catch a lot of heat from people that just say, you know, leave well enough alone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, a lot of times you're giving me a nice kudos, you know, through Facebook messenger. Hey, there's always, there's always going to be somebody out there that's going to go, Oh, OSHA 10 class, that the education class, that's horrible because they think they're going to get regulated. And they're, mm -hmm. I, I get a lot of negative comments every time I post anything about it on social media. And I have to just understand that that's going to happen and move forward, you know, and try to do what I feel is important. And hopefully the industry as a whole will not be totally upset with me. If I, when I start teaching those classes, <laughs> uh, I caught a lot of heat when, um, when I started talking about the chlorine shortage, I mean, everybody told me it was a figment of my imagination. You know, I mean, what do you think about the chlorine shortage? You still think that it's uh, a figment of everybody's imagination? Oh, no. I, I had the honor of interviewing Terry Arco at Hassa Cool. Yeah. And his, his, uh, should be up in September, I think. August, September, his episode will be up at, on for let's talk about pools and no, it's real. It depends on where you're at. And if you get lucky and you walk in somewhere and they happen to have what you're looking for and it just came in and put out, but you know, I think it's, it's a real thing. I know at Texas, it was a real thing, especially after the, the freeze. And I have an episode and that I interviewed and posted back in January. And let's talk about pools with uh, Chris Bowen with Bowen pools. And 
we talked about the the shortages in equipment and heaters, everything cracked over there. So no, it, it's very real. I mean, I, I we're hoping it's going to get better. Um, it's just the economy is real interesting right now. And if you listen, I had a roundtable episode on the podcast back in February or March. And it was me and uh, Tom Sukup with Patriot Pool Heating, um, Chase Ward. He's a distributor, uh, Eric Knight with Arenda, and Tom Schaefer with Clear Comfort. And so we talked about all the shortages, not just in the economy and what we thought was going to happen by the end of the year. And a lot of what we're talking about now, we were already talking about then. And we talked about equipment and I mean, it, it comes down to COVID and warehouses processing things. You've got less people because of social distancing, um, people sick, you got truck drivers that can't drive the product that, that was the big deal right there with Terry Arco. He talked about just, they have the product, but getting it from point A to point B was a difficult thing. So that creates a shortage. Yeah. Logistics is a nightmare out there. It's a certain, and it could be just that one train or that one truck that's going to the Northeast, but the South got theirs, you know? So there's a, our economy is such a food chain, you know, do you always learn in science about predator prey and the plants and the whole food chain? Our food chain is our economy and our economy is interwoven and everything, even in the pool industry is in that interwoven food chain. And so you take one piece out of it and it upsets the whole thing. So until it kind of settles down, inflation comes down, there's a lot of things at play right now in the economy. And I think that, I mean, pool industry is hot. I mean, it's doing great, but it makes it difficult when you can't get what you need when you're busy, 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 right? Yeah. Guys can be building twice as much if they were able to get the supplies that they need in time. Exactly. And, and I mean, I'm hoping that pool builders are, you know, being smart when they're putting out their contracts, getting them signed. And then because we had that one down here in Florida that, you know, wasn't able to complete pools. And and I know you had written an article about that in poolmagazine.com. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and it's been an ongoing thing down here out of West Florida. And so there's a lot of liens on people's properties right now. So hopefully people are doing the right thing during this economy. You're doing well, but don't go overboard with it. Try to be financially, fiscally responsible when you're running the businesses. You know, and again, that maybe it's just the honest person in me that I think that that's what we all should be doing in the industry so that we make the industry, you know, awesome for everybody else. Yeah, I think it goes back to what a lot of guys are saying in the in the Facebook groups is, you know, don't go sell a hundred and fifty thousand dollar pool and then go buy a hundred thousand dollar boat, you know? Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you and I were talking about something really interesting the other day. And as it pertains to public pools, we were having a discussion on uh, you know, there's a lot of closures. Um, public pools are closing early this year, and it directly correlates to what we were just talking about, which is the chlorine shortage. I mean, are you seeing something similar going on down in Florida? Um, we haven't had any actually close, 
but I mean, there it's a tiny spider web holding them together because I mean, they, a lot of them were closed during COVID for such a long period of time. And then when they reopen, like our local one here where I live, the city pool, I mean, reopen only with lap swimming. So with laps, lap swimming being the only thing able to be and no open swimming, the kids couldn't go during the summer to go open swim. You know, I couldn't bring my four-year-old there. So they lose all those admission fees, you know? Mm -hmm. So how do they run? It's a, these government run pools. It's been a tough battle for them. I feel for them so much. It was tough running these pools before COVID and you throw COVID in there and it throws a wrench in for them. You know, people think these pools are able to pay for themselves and why not? It's, it's paid through the budget, through taxes that are collected. Admission fees are never enough. And it's what they ask parents to pay for swim lessons. I mean, I go look at the price. I'm like, wow, that's great. And they know if they raise prices, then people aren't going to show up. So you battle the raised prices, they're not going to show up or we keep it cheap, but we're not getting enough, according to people to keep things running. And of course, when these pools close, then you lose the swim lessons um, that these children could get because not everybody has a pool in their backyard or availability to go swimming somewhere, or some parents just don't know how to teach their kids how to swim properly. So you lose that key component, one of the key components of layers of protection for the drowning prevention for that group of children where the leading cause of death is drowning for ages one to four. And that's a staggered out schedule because I mean, you know, you may not be even seeing the repercussions of those closures for another couple of years, you know? Oh yeah. And there, people cannot tell me there's not a great need for those swim lessons at those facilities that are risking closing. Because here in our little city, my husband would get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and they didn't open the gate until 8 a.m. So he sat there for three hours in a chair waiting in line. And it was like getting rock concert tickets or something. The line Mm -hmm. wrapped around the building by the time it was like 6 a.m. And if you got there at six and not at five, you weren't going to even have a chance. And there were still people that had gotten there probably at three or four in the morning before him that there were 20 people in front of him. So the need financially and economically for, you know, economically affordable swim lessons, um, a lot of parents, you know, rely on these type of facilities. So what's the answer? I don't know. You know, we got to try to be understanding taxpayers when it comes to, they have to kick in more in the budget to keep the pool running, but parks and rec they're hurting the government run facilities, those YMCA's, all of those facilities that are more the parks and rec side, they've already lost so much money already that I think that they stay, a lot of them will stay closed. It's going to be very hard for them to reopen. It's a different part of the industry. You know, people don't think about those. They take care of their own pools. They have their own certified pool operators on staff. They have their own engineers on staff. So they don't bring in pool service unless there's some major thing like with a gas heater or something going on. They do their own thing. So they're affected in such a different, I mean, they're affected by the shortages. Don't get me wrong. Just like the, the, the pool companies. But then they're also affected by COVID way more than 
pool techs going out to clean, you know, pools outside and that kind of thing. So it'll be massively hurtful for the swim schools, YMCA's, all these places that are privately owned or government run. And I'm sure you've seen it, Joe, a lot, a lot of these tight water parks, the, all these places I've named, they're short on lifeguards. They're short on swim instructors. And they can't compete because if they're government run, they cannot compete with the pay that other industries are offering right now. So these people aren't coming back. Plus their facilities were closed because of COVID. So the people that they had employed had to go find other jobs. And now they're not willing to leave those jobs to come back and be a lifeguard and make maybe five or six dollars less an hour. That's exactly so, right. I mean, those jobs went away. All right. Those people went and found new jobs. And now you have to replace those jobs, those lifeguard jobs with people who first have to go get certified to be a lifeguard before they can even take the job. Right. I mean, even pool service companies and pool builders everywhere on social media, they're going to nod their head when I say this. They're having a hard time even. And we're not even talking about government run facilities and parks and rec and YMCAs and all that pool service companies are having a hard time keeping pool techs employed or even getting people to show up to job interviews. What do you think is causing that? I mean, do you think it's the economic conditions right now? I mean, I think there's a lot at play and all interwoven together because again, like we said, isn't the economy an interwoven uh, food chain here? So it, it can be more than one thing. A lot of people got used to working from home. If they, one of those people left one of these jobs when it closed and they found a job where they could work at home, why would they leave that to have to drive somewhere again? So there's a lot of availability of working from home now that is going to be taken advantage. So that's going to affect other industries. I mean, don't get us wrong. The pool, we're talking specifically about the pool industry, but there's so many other industries in the same boat right now. The food industry, restaurants, hotels, all these type of places, they cannot get people. They're making people work in in the kitchens, double shifts, overtime. And these people are getting tired, as is the the pool industry. So it's, it's an overall issue that hopefully, hopefully, if COVID could just disappear, right, Joe? Just go away. Leave us alone maybe we would see where things go. But I mean, right now, I know there's some states like the state I live in, I'm in Florida, we have it depends on who's uh, in charge of your state, what they decide to do. Now we reopened last July, I think, our governor reopened Florida, and he said he was not going to close it up again. So we've been, I started teaching in-person certified pool operator courses in last July. So I've been teaching in-person classes for a year now. I just scratched my head and thought about that. It's been a year already, but you know, it, we, some States are open and others are not. So it depends on it. I think it turns into a, a big, big political game too, you know? So it, it yeah. it's so complex. And I hope that in general, that this gets better for the industry overall, because I mean, my podcast, I have parks and rec listening too. I mean, my drowning prevention series, it's geared right toward parks and rec and YMCA's and swim schools. That's why I was doing that series along with 
that's one of my big passions with my business is that drowning prevention piece. We had our local pool here that was closed for three years since we were talking about pools being closed. Our local city pool here was closed for three years. He got swim lessons when he was 18 or 20 months old. And then he, they didn't even open up swim lessons for his age group. They were only doing three and under because they didn't have enough swim instructors when they reopened after COVID for this summer. So he's not able to get swim lessons again. So it's me and my husband and his older siblings trying to teach him how to swim and our little, our aunt and uncle's little private pool in their backyard. But are we swim instructors? No. Now they were closed before COVID and they were closed due to a lot of reasons that were happening prior to COVID not having enough funding from the gov- local governments. There was another city in the, in the county that I worked for in the health department. And they were talking about closing the old city pool and turning it into a skate park because it was going to be cheaper for them to do that than run the pool. And every, all the parents that cared about drowning prevention showed up with signs. My local pool here, when it went to the city council, I have me on video talking before city, our local city council. For my three minutes that I get uh, telling why I wanted the pool to be open and that they needed to fund it. And they did end up funding it afterwards. They they knew that there was going to be a lot of people upset. But a lot of us started that particular topic with public pools closing some of them. It started before COVID and COVID was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Does that make sense, Joe? Absolutely. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the cost of keeping these pools open is a lot less for chlorine, all right, than it is for, you know, the toll of human lives that may not have gotten the swim lessons that they need in order to avoid drowning at an early age, you know? Yep. Yep. And something that we'll, I'm working on with Collins Hope and another organization is we are going to try to put together a short training video and we're going to, Space Coast Pool School is going to incentivize watching the short 20 or 30 minute video to get per- certain amount off CPO class. But you watch the video and it's going to show educate again. My key is education. So tying everything to education is to educate pool techs and pool companies on what they can do at every pool they're at, what things they can look at. We're going to have a short like 15 point checklist and the video is going to go through that 15 point checklist in a fun, unique way so that we educate the pool industry, pool technicians specifically on what to look for to alert parents, alert homeowners. Um, This could be an issue and cause a childhood drowning. Absolutely. Again, that's one of my passions. So I'm trying to put education and that passion together. And that's going to be something that hopefully we'll have out in the fall or early 2022. And what the Collins Hope is a nonprofit organization out of um, Austin, Texas. Um, Parents of uh, their child had drowned and um, they really felt like this was their calling and they started this nonprofit. And listen, let's talk about pools. I interviewed the uh, director that they hired to run Collins Hope. She's been there for many years. 
And her name's Alyssa Magram, and it'll be an exciting episode um, about what they do and how they started. And um, that childhood drowning prevention series will be continuing coming up into the fall even. So lots of good stuff coming on the podcast. Well, if anybody's interested in your pool school, taking a, a, a CPO class or listening to your podcast, why don't you give your website uh, a plug, Lauren? Go ahead. It's www.spacecoastpoolschool.com. The podcast has its own um, tab at the top if you want to start listening into the podcast. Um, and my whole CPO class schedule for virtual classes and Florida in-person classes can all be found there. My blog is there as well. So you can find some good articles on my written blog and find me on social media. Um, I think, Joe, you probably see way too much of me on social media sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty active there. <laughs> I, I get a little ADHD or something on there sometimes. So sometimes I'm on there way too much. And sometimes I'm kind of non-existent for a week or so. It just depends on what's going on. So I, you can find me on Facebook, Lauren Broom. I have a lot of friends from the pool industry through my personal page. Also, Space Coast Pool School is on there. Let's Talk About Pools has its own uh, Facebook page. Uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram. So should be able to find me on any of those social media platforms. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lauren. It was awesome to be able to catch up with you and learn a little bit more about what you do. It, thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be on your podcast and, and you have such an awesome podcast and what you're doing for the industry, Joe, is just, it's wonderful between poolmagazine.com. Um, I get a lot of inspiration just from reading it and sometimes some, wow, why didn't I think of that? So thank you for what you bring to the industry as well, uh, Joe. And I'm excited to see what you continue to do moving forward. That's all the time we have today. A big thank you to our sponsors, Viking Capital. They're partnering with pool builders to get homeowners the financing they need in real time and helping them close more pool sales. Make sure to subscribe and join us next time on another episode of Pool Magazine Podcast.